Welcome to Unlikely Intersections, where intent, impact, and inquiry inspire our conversations. I'm Doc Philip Brown, and I'm here with my friend, Dr. Terry Jackson, and we're at the intersection. What's interesting is we all experience many different intersections daily, whether that's at church, at home, at work, and at play. How we handle those intersections determines the trajectory of our days and our lives. Terry, it's good to be with you again today. I look forward to our conversation today about destination health. And I understand you're on a little bit of a journey yourself right yeah. now. Health has always been a destination for me, right? You know, I've had these uh, periods in my life where I'm like, man, I'm going to get in top shape. I'm going to lose this stomach that I have, man. I'm going to be trim. And somewhere I fall off the wagon, right? And then I get back on the wagon. So at the present time, you know, I'm pretty focused on getting some walking in, getting a little bit of jogging in, and, and monitoring really how, how I'm, I'm eating. And uh, with the support of others around me, friends, uh, <laughs> it keep me on destination health. Yeah, I know that you can do it. I know for a while. <laughs> yeah, we were. Ch- I was checking in with you weekly and everything. Yes, I know you've yes. got the discipline, right? You're, the discipline is shown through your whole life. Yes. So it's clear you can do it this time. You know, and it's it's interesting for me to watch that journey. I keep up with you on social media a lot of times and see you're out there hitting it hard in the ninety degree weather yeah. and putting in the miles. And that's kind of what it takes. Yeah, it it, it does take the discipline and and you know. Um, as we mature, I'm not going to say get older. I'm going to say as we mature, <laughs> you know, we have to be mindful of, of, of all of that, right, uh, if we want to have an extended life with quality, right? And, and, that, and that, that really steps into what we're going to talk about today, right, that whole concept and destination health and what it, what it is, and you're more in tune with that destination health uh, from an expert perspective than I, than I am, but... It's something that is uh, should be at top of mind for everyone. I couldn't agree more. And my whole background, of course, was originally I was a physical education major at UNCW, and then taught health and PE, mm-hmm. then went back to medical school mm-hmm. and worked for many years, many years at the terminal end of health, right? As a mm-hmm. vascular surgeon, health mm-hmm. is is gone. Mm-hmm. But then mm-hmm. for the last six or so years, I've been working back upstream and how do we do things to promote health? And not only mm-hmm. individually, I'm not even talking about individually, although I'm a big believer in that, right. but how do we promote health in populations? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. to me, that's fascinating because it starts with a question. And I don't care whether you're talking about Wilmington, whether you're talking about North Carolina, or whether you're talking about the United States of America, the number one question has to be, why is our health so poor? Yeah, that's, that's true, because we call it the health care system, right? And normally, <clears throat> it's from a reactive perspective versus proactive, because I'm going to a physician or because I'm feeling a particular way, right? I'm not feeling the best. And then I'm on these medi- I'm on these meds because there's some condition that's been created because of the lack of, 
either activity or poor dietary regimen. So everything about our current healthcare system seems to be more reactive than proactive. And I know with your thoughts and the conversations we've had, you like to see that become just the opposite. It's more of a proactive, meaning you're taking care of yourself, you're eating well, you're exercising, and you're, you're doing all the necessary things versus having to go to a physician and the physician tell you, now you need to do something. It should be more upfront. That's right. I wish we could change the way we even talk about it. Yeah. I would love to talk about health and, and make a contra, contra, uh, distinction with medical care. Mm. Health care to me is a little bit of an oxymoron, right? Because once you need it, it means you've lost something. And I love the concept of thinking about things really simply, fundamentally, right? So things like food is medicine, mm-hmm. housing is health, mm-hmm. and exercise is our path to vitality, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Those three things we know in terms of a population health model, if we take care of those things, many of our medical conditions actually go away. You know, Doc, given what you just said, I'll tell you what came to mind. Hope and health. It appears to me that people have more hope when their health is better. They're in a better frame of mind, right? They're more productive, if you will, because hope is at the underlying inspiration for what they're doing because they have health. And so as I think about hope and health, and I think about health, of course, I'm thinking it more from a more holistic perspective, right? Um, Hope and health ties into a lot. It it ties into one's career. It ties into one's um, economic uh, condition, um, how they see the world, how they interact with others. All of those things, to me, fall into that hope and health around why destination health should be a place that everybody desires. I love that thinking. It, it really it gets you into all the different components of health, whether you talk about economics, whether you talk about spiritual, mental, physical, all these things, you know, social. And it really makes me think about, like our friend Dr. Rao says, the fundamental question, right, is the universe a friendly place? That's right. That's right? right. Is That's there, right. you know, and that just opens up so much space to think differently about what can be. That's right. That's right. And, and, you know, the health of a community, right? And when I think of the health of a community, I think about the mental health of a community, right? So let's, let's say, for instance, right now we're in Wilmington, North Carolina, and we're always looking for better ways and more ways to, to, to grow. And a lot of our growth is around entrepreneurship. Right, at least that's how we see it. Not a lot of big companies coming here, but just that having a healthy um, ecosystem around entrepreneurship, right, which leads to having a healthy mental mindset about Wilmington, North Carolina, right, and with that, it improves the health of the entire community. Um, mentally, spiritually, physically, economically, and culturally. Because cultural health is 
extremely important given the fact that Wilmington's past, right? Some of its transgressions that may have occurred um, and trying to make it whole for everybody. So destination health, uh, even though we're speaking more from a physical perspective, the mental piece plays a major role because part of the mental piece is the inclusion and belonging that happens as a, as a result of destination health. And that gets you to one of the other fundamental questions that we have to ask, who gets left out? Right. And if you look in our geography or in the state of North Carolina or in the United States, you see that it's typically communities of color that are left out. And I love one of the sayings, I've heard you say it many times, all roads lead to and from economics. Mm -hmm. And it's no different for health, right? So we talk about this whole concept of destination health, how we measure it. Well, we have this thing called the Healthy Communities North Carolina Dashboard. Mm -hmm. It's in all 100 counties. It's publicly available, healthycommunitiesnc.org. Mm -hmm. And it looks at a population health model. So you look at the fact that 40% of health is determined by social and economic factors. 10% mm. of health is determined by things like physical environment, whether you talk about housing, food, safe places to exercise. Mm -hmm. Another 30% is health behaviors. Mm. And 20%, the final 20%, only 20% is clinical care or medical care. And those things together formulate your health outcomes for a population. So if you start seeing that there are big differences in outcomes across populations, it's pretty easy then to go back in and look community by community and see, okay, well, what's missing here? Well, if you have a high poverty level, that's one thing. If you have mm -hmm. an unsafe community for whatever reason, whether you talk about you know, maybe you're in Michigan and you're talking about Flint, Michigan and the mm -hmm. water or, mm -hmm. or you could talk about any unsafe thing in mm -hmm. community. And you cone down on these factors. And what you see across the country is that concentrated poverty is almost exclusively a black community phenomenon. There are many policy decisions mm -hmm. made by people mm -hmm. over years that have led to that. Uh, and that there's disparity in every sector between people of color and whites. Wow. So that's who gets left out. It's not, there's no controversy about that, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. the, the only controversy <laughs> might be what a person chooses to believe, but the data is clear. And we can show that from North Carolina in all 100 counties, and in most cases, down to the census block level. It's amazing. Wow. Wow. You know, it's, it is truly amazing because I, I mentioned before to you that in my lifetime, I, I always thought that we would be further along as a society than we, than we actually are. And in some areas now, it seems like we're regressing, right? And, and you know, I, I, I like to take a look at policy. I like to take a look at people who are creating policy because it is the belief system, their mindsets that, that helps to create that. And <clears throat> from a healthy perspective, it can't be but so healthy to think that way, right? And on the other end, for those who are 
considered to be impoverished, it can't be healthy for them to think that way. And so we have to find a way to bridge the gap in such a way that everybody can have a destination health or a destination that is a healthy destination that enables them to not only be healthy themselves, but for their families and the communities. And that takes you to your definition of health equity, right? Health equity is where all people have the opportunity to reach their highest level of health. Mm. So right now we're playing on a profoundly unlevel playing field, right? And, And you can look whether you talk about Wilmington, North Carolina, state of North Carolina, mm-hmm. or the United States of mm-hmm. America, there's mm-hmm. a profoundly unlevel playing field in many respects. And so by looking at these individual factors, and by individual, I don't mean the person, I mean community by community, that gives us a chance to really make destination health a possibility for all people. And that's really what we need to do because mm-hmm. – when you take a certain population and create an environmental condition where their health is challenged, that really becomes the bottleneck of health for the entire population. I'll give you a great example of how that has played out over years. So if you go back into 80s and 90s and look at things like how addiction was treated Mm -hmm. right think about whether it's war on drugs or criminalizing addiction and when it was black and brown communities that that was mass incarceration Mm -hmm. that's how that played out right it was a wrong thing to do it was criminal we lock all the people up Mm -hmm. fast forward to 2016 where Wilmington, North Carolina is the worst city in America for opioid addiction. And more importantly, for the first time ever, life expectancy in this country declined. Mm. And you have to say why. And it was because of, in large part, the opioid addiction deaths of middle-aged white men. Mm. And everybody says, holy cow, we got to do something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So that was a long story to say, when you leave a population out, it comes back to get you. Yeah. And that's where we find ourselves right now. And that is the, that is the ceiling on our health. Until we make it a reality that all people have a chance to reach their highest level of health, then on the world stage, we are going to find our health low. Yeah. Period. You, you, you said a lot <laughs> when you when you just do in, in your, your in your statement there uh, around the treatment between you know the the cocaine and the opioid and the, how one was criminalized and the other was, hey, we got a problem here. We need to get some, some, some treatment versus, you know, putting people in, in prison because we've all lived that and seen that, right? 
And it speaks to who's left out, the double standard. I call the standard has become the double. The standard is the double standard, right? If it's this population, this is how we're going to handle it. If it's this population, this is how we're going to handle it. Uh, but it's not, for the most part, it's not going to be the same, right? Um, which takes me now to leadership. Because, as you said, you know, one of the things I like to say is all roads lead to and from leadership. Who should be leading this, this, this journey toward destination health? Should, be, should it be big business? Should it be the medical professionals? Wow, that's a great question. Honest answer? I'm not sure. I think everybody's got to be on the journey. Mm -hmm. I do think that when you look at, at disparities in business leadership, I mean, look at the Fortune 500, how many CEOs of mm -hmm. color or even women mm -hmm. are there relative to the total. It's embarrassingly low. You know, those are statements, mm -hmm. right? They, those things determine who has and who doesn't have. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's just a – it's like an indicator, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, it's just a, a biopsy, if mm -hmm. you will, mm -hmm. in medical mm -hmm. parlance, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. the leadership really comes from multiple sectors because mm -hmm. it's a multiple sector problem, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. I'll give you another example from uh, North Carolina and cone it down to Wilmington, North Carolina. So there should be educational leadership, mm -hmm. right? And from our Healthy Communities North Carolina dashboard, what we can see is that there's a massive disparity between black children and white children in who gets suspended. Mm. So in North Carolina, that ratio is four to one. A black child is four times as likely to get suspended from school than a white child. Mm. But if you look at New Hanover County, it's eight to one. Mm. Right? So there's got to be some leadership in the educational section sector to make a difference in that right because mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. all policy driven but more than that it's driven by people's implicit bias and all kinds of things so everybody has got to step up to the table when it really comes down to it and you can do the same thing you can look in the purely economic sector you can look in the health sector you can look at any sector and you'll find the same disparities across our country it's all solvable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. May take time. Not as much time as it has taken is necessary, right? Because right. we can't. We have to act our way to thinking. We have to do some things differently, and be honest about what the impact of those things is, right? So you can talk about well-intentioned policy, war on drugs. Great, it sounds great, right? Who wouldn't be against that? What was the impact of that? Did it make us better or worse? Right? Are we healthier or less healthy as a society or as an as a individual group? You know, what I'm thinking about as I, I hear you uh, talk is, first thing that comes to my mind is system. And we know that a system is built to produce specific outcomes. As, a, as I listen to you talk about the outcomes and what I'm What's resonating with me is the system that's in place is the system that's created these outcomes, and it's, it was designed to do that, right? 
So the next thing that comes to mind is transformation. How do we transform the thoughts of people so that we transform or create a system in which all are included and we don't have these issues of eight to one, the eight to one ratio that you spoke of, of black kids being suspended from school versus white kids in New Hanover County. We don't have that four to, that, that four to one across the country, right? And we both know that New Hanover County has done something kind of ingenious in resegregating the schools, right? <laughs> Somehow we found a way to resegregate the schools in New Hanover County, which, again, goes to leadership. You know, school board leadership, and I, I don't know any of them personally, but I'm just speaking from a, you know, when, you, when you're looking at how this transformation has occurred to resegregate the schools after we know that the laws on the books are about desegregation and integration. Um, we have to look at leadership, right, and the thoughts of leadership, and what are they thinking, Um and the impact that it has on the health, the mental health, the physical health, the spiritual health of the kids in the schools and the families uh, that, that are, um, have children in school. And it drives straight to opportunity. So the, the education piece, we know there's a high correlation between the level of education and what comes next, whether you talk about health in any of the multiple dimensions of health. And so we really do need to, we need to act into that and understand some things. And sometimes it starts just at the individual level. A, a case in point that I would point to is that there's a group of folks here locally I'm part of that has established a scholarship, mm -hmm. a New Hanover Scholars, mm -hmm. right, for, for a stu mm -hmm. promising students from historically marginalized populations to help them have an opportunity to go to college without incurring such a great amount of debt. Mm -hmm. That was just the brainchild of some local individuals. I was not one of them. I was invited to participate in mm -hmm. it uh, because mm -hmm. folks thought I might, you know, understand and be able to contribute to it. But, you know, it can start right there mm -hmm. and then it goes to bigger things, right? Like, so how do we set systems in place? So, an example would be like what we do with Novant Health for upward mobility mm -hmm. in combination with our public schools and the health professional careers and relationships with Cape Fear Community College and UNCW, our, our Novant Health Foundation funds scholarship for upward mobility of our employees. So for instance, it, you know, it, it really helps fortify the nursing profession so we have folks who have opportunity to mm -hmm. work for us and at the same time pursue education, mm -hmm. become nurses and beyond, which nursing is a gateway career, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. it really opens the doors to a lot of things. It's really interesting that in our community and in many communities across the country, the salary level that you achieve with nursing is also above the sustainability standard. So mm -hmm. the, the income is enough that it makes home ownership a reality. Mm -hmm. It makes all kinds of possibilities for the families mm -hmm. once somebody is at that level of income. And that when you start talking about what's an inclusive economy, which could be an episode by itself, 
what's an inclusive economy, it, it really refers to that phenomenon, right? So when is it that a person reaches a level, a sustainability standard that they can participate in all there is to offer within that system? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I start thinking about families, right? And being able to identify early on those who may go to college and what career they're going to pursue once they go to college, right? Just having that opportunity and not saying that college is for everyone, even if they attend community college, right? But at least being able to identify. And I, I and the reason I went to this because I started thinking about the hope and health, which was the first first point that, that, that I, I brought up, hope and health, because that's what it really is. You know, you get to go to school, you have the opportunity to pursue your, your, um, your vision or your dreams. Um, and with that, that's a healthy mindset for one. Um, and then hopefully they become uh, productive citizens of society and that produces health in the community, you know, from an economic perspective, from a social perspective, right? From a cultural perspective. So all the dots connect on the destination uh, health. So where are we right now? with the pursuit of destination health as a region, as a county, let me say, as a city, county, region, and state? Well, I think for the first time in our history, we're poised to move up the ladder as far as our national rank. So every 10 years, North Carolina puts out a 10-year plan for health. So by 2030, we will, if we have met these indicators, we would anticipate our health improving. There's 21 of these indicators, and in partnership with Cape Fear Collective, as well as with Novant Health, we've created this dashboard that measures those 21 factors that are in the population health model I mentioned earlier. And if we stay on track with that, then I think we have a legitimate chance for North Carolina to be in the top 10 by 2030. Mm, mm. When we started this plan cycle, we were number 37. We're currently number 31, so we're moving okay. up. Okay. And we know we have some advantages, right? So we happen to know that North Carolina was the second safest, safest state in the country to live during the pandemic, mm. right? That has a lot to do with our success with vaccinations, with how we, how we manage patients and, and things like that in the, in the healthcare setting. So, you know, we're moving up already. When you think about, you know, let's tie it back to economics, right? Mm -hmm. So how money flows into a state from a federal and so forth, you got to be in the top half, right? Right. I mean, you know, you, you got to get into the top half. But when you get into that top 10 and can compete for number one, that's what really makes things magical for a community. Mm. And we're right there. There are several things that make that possible. I think it's, it's likely that New Hanover County can, can really help lead the state. Mm. We typically hover around 19, 15 of the 100 counties. But based on the, the sale of the hospital to Novant Health and the large community endowment that was created, that's going to give us a great opportunity to impact a lot of these systemic factors mm -hmm. with financial resources in the right places. Move, North, move New Hanover County up mm -hmm. in health, 
moved North Carolina up in health. And when you put it together with, you know, I think we were recently as a state just named the number one state for business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's great. That ranking won't stay if we don't get better in health, right? Because you, you're not going to be able to, to draw large employers to come to a place where there's a healthy or, or a poorly trained workforce. That's right. Right. So those factors have to be taken care of. But man, that, that high ranking for business and high ranking for health go hand in glove. Mm-hmm. So we need to achieve that. And it really, it'll, it'll make North Carolina, I mean, not only, not only a great place to live from a climate standpoint. I mean, we got everything from beaches to mountains, mm-hmm. but also a true destination for health, yes. a place where people want to come and work. They're going to have healthy colleagues, a place where people want to come and retire Mm -hmm. because they know they're going to get not only good health care, but that communities are going to be set up Mm -hmm. to drive health. So I think it's just, you know, it's one of the most important things we can do uh, is to monitor these things, these outcomes, and to be diligent about assessing the impact of our policy and our interventions so that we're getting what we're trying to get, Mm -hmm. which is better. You know, I know you're part of an organization that you guys have developed uh, a dashboard, right? Talk a little bit about the dashboard, what you measure, and how can we get that message to everyone in the city, the county, and the state? Because it is truly something that is unique, and I don't know how many other organizations or states have actually looked at developing something such as this? Well, I think it is truly unique right now. And what's really unique about it is that it's available to anybody with an internet connection, Mm. right? You can go to Mm healthycommunitiesnc.org, pull that thing up, and you can look at any one of those 21 indicators, you can break it down by demographics. Mm. You can break it down by census block level. You can break it down by age. You can look at trends. And the fascinating thing about it is also that let's say you're an organization who's working in this space and you want to make a grant application. You can download source data, Mm. which is what's truly unique. You download Mm -hmm. that source data and include it in your grant application, mm. right? And so, and also, then you can subsequently track the success of the work that you're doing based on how that changes over time. And it's in place until 2030, mm-hmm. and we're already having discussions about what the 2040 version looks like. Mm. But you see, the thing about this dashboard, it enables us to follow that path for health that's written by the North Carolina Institute of Medicine in conjunction with Department of Health and Human Services, Blue Cross Blue Shield Foundation, Kate B. Reynolds Foundation, Duke Endowment, all the big players are there. You know, and and we track this, and by 2030, we're in the top 10 in the country, mm-hmm. maybe high top 10. And the most exciting thing is that Somewhere in that 2040 rendition, we really have a chance to eliminate almost all these demographic health disparities that we're currently facing. But we got to stay on it. We got to mm-hmm. react more mm-hmm. quickly than we ever have. Mm-hmm. 
And we got to empower people to do some intervention, right? It can't be, I mean, that's, that's the fascinating thing about the dashboard available to anybody looking at the information from the comfort of your own home, mm -hmm. from the captain's chair of your not-for-profit organization, mm -hmm. from the board of education room, mm -hmm. from the health department, mm -hmm. from the hospital system, wherever you are. And it's going to show you the current picture. So, so <clears throat> the question that comes to mind now is, because you always have to look at it from the status quo perspective, right? Because there's, there's benefit in maintaining the status quo for some people. Why, why would the status quo want to adhere to or, 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 or not follow? I mean, that's a better question. Why would the status quo not want to follow the dashboard? Well, I think it starts with fear, right? Like it, and we, we talked about this in our earlier episode. There are certain things that folks are just soon not believe are true about the world they live in, the environment mm -hmm. that they're mm -hmm. part of. But it's really scarcity thinking, right? Like mm -hmm. there's, this, mm -hmm. there's this myth that there's a fixed pie, and if I don't get Mm -hmm. a certain size piece because you know then the whole world's going to be messed up right mm -hmm. or if somebody gets a bigger piece mm -hmm. my piece is going to diminish that's really not how it works but man it's being driven right now by a lot of the dialogue you hear across the country again right is that and, and that's really not the way it works but that's the number one thing right is to protect mm -hmm. right to protect whatever level of prosperity i have mm -hmm seems less risky maybe because i'm scared mm -hmm. and i you know i just i don't ascribe to that philosophy personally that's mm -hmm. just not mm -hmm. how i'm built mm -hmm. right like mm -hmm. i mean mm -hmm. i just uh, i'm an abundance thinker i believe that that more is always out there mm -hmm. and that and that possibility exists for everybody you know the mindset and we, we we know someone in common who had a book that said uh, what got you here won't get you there right marsha goldsmith and with that being the case, it's, it's, it's always baffled me why people didn't think that particular way, right? Because that's a, consist, that's a constant, consistent, second-by-second second minute of evaluation and analysis of who you are to understand in order for me to take this next step. How I got to this particular place, I can't get there, right? Something has to be a little bit different, right? And, it, you know, that mindset in and of itself, if we could could have that mindset become a part of this dashboard, right? Understanding that what we're talking about is all of us getting better together, so which is inclusion, right? Uh, and, and equity is created, right? And, and as we all get better together, there's diversity, not just from an ethnicity perspective, but a uh, diversity of thought, right? Diversity of action, which makes society a much better place. We know that, right? Uh, I think it's uh, uh, Scott Page wrote the book many years ago, The Difference, right? And he proved uh, that, you know, those organizations that, and societies that think, think differently or value different thought, they all progress, right? They live in that abundant paradigm, right, in the universe, because I think that the universe has always been able to provide. One of the questions I always like to ask people is, when, when I ask, I said, so what have, since we've been on this earth, what have we, what have we run out of? And the answer is nothing. We haven't run out of anything. Now, we as man have polluted some water. We've cut down some trees. 
but we haven't run out of anything, which proves the abundance of the universe. So I hope as, as people listen to our conversation around destination health, and we listen to our conversation around the dashboard, that is for the betterment of all people, which means it's for the betterment of society. Absolutely. And I want to give an example of how we actually have already used the dashboard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we did very early on, uh, I think in previous episode, I may have mentioned Michael Jordan's gift of $10 million mm -hmm. to the mm -hmm. community for two medical clinics. So we actually use that technology for the location of the two clinics. Mm. And so you look at all, you know, you look at communities that have been historically underserved from a medical access point. You look at hospital information like, are people who live here accessing the system through the emergency room, perhaps, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. some other way, or accessing it late in the course of disease? You know, what is the level of food security in a community? So mm -hmm. we use this dashboard and located those two clinics where they are going to be, one at 15th and Greenfield mm -hmm. and one at 30th and Princess Place. The fascinating thing about it is that just the promise of those clinics has already begun to change the ecosystems mm -hmm. in that in those communities. Mm -hmm. And we know in the case of the 15th and Greenfield Clinic that at the time we ran the data, that census block, and this is going to astound you that this is mm -hmm. in our hometown, mm -hmm. that census block ranked below 99.8% of other census blocks in the United States mm. for the percentage of children living under the federal poverty level, actually under 200% of the federal poverty wow. level. So that tells you what's going on right here in our backyard at home. And so these clinics are going there. The promise of that changes communities. It's a food desert. Obviously that was one of the markers that we looked at. Well, Four blocks down the road from that clinic, Food Bank of Central and Eastern North Carolina has a new capital project mm -hmm. that's really their mm -hmm. warehouse for multi-counties in the southeast. Mm -hmm. As a part of that, and in partnership with Novant Health, there's going to be a fresh food market, mm -hmm. food desert eliminated. Mm -hmm. There's also going to be a big community garden there, mm -hmm. and there's going to be a commercial kitchen mm -hmm. to help not only folks to be able to go from farm to prep to cook to table, but also to train people mm -hmm. in a culinary mm -hmm. expertise to have opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you see how it fits. Clinic, now food desert gone away, attached to different opportunities, mm -hmm. right? And that's just the beginning. So all around, all these things can continue to happen. They happen through partnerships, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. partnerships really mm -hmm. make things different. You know, I, 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 out of all what you said, I heard co-creation, right? Human beings working together for the greater good of human beings, right? That whole co-creation and all the dots connected around what you just said. Uh, the ecosystem for people to be able to not only go and have food that is healthy for them, but the possibility and the opportunity of learning a skill or a trade that could actually take them into a different career. I also thought about the food trucks, right? Because from a commercial kitchen perspective, I know that the food truck owners need a place where they need to be able to prep 
prior to going out to sell. So it is serving a lot of different interests, uh, but most importantly, it's the betterment of the interest of the citizens of Wilmington and um, the citizens of this region. Absolutely. It's all about opportunity. Yep. Opportunity has to come. And you know, this whole concept of food as medicine is impossible to overemphasize, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm a vascular surgeon by mm -hmm. training. I can tell you for sure that if people didn't smoke, ate right, and had a decent level of activity, the vast majority of vascular surgery would go away. Mm. You'd be looking at some rare genetic defects and things like that. But just using food as medicine and having a halfway active lifestyle mm -hmm. makes a huge difference in, in whether or not you succumb to vascular disease. Mm. And that takes you into all kinds of things around end-stage renal disease, strokes, heart attack. All these things would be controllable through diet and behavioral modification, to be honest with you. And as I look at my community, the African-American community, all that you just mentioned, I see a lot of that. And that's because of the food deserts that, that exist. Um, sometimes the not-so-healthy food, in particular uh, stores, the fast food industry, and I'm guilty. You can't, I like the Chick-fil-A. Sometimes I might go through Burger King. Uh, I still got to have a two-piece white meat from Bojangles. <laughs> so I'm just as guilty. But as I listen to that, you know, again, hope, health, you know, co-creation, uh, working together for the greater good of humanity. And, 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 again, that dashboard fits all of that that I just mentioned. So to me, it's a no-brainer, right? To some, it might be a challenge, um, but to me, it's a it's a no brainer. Um, if one wanted to access the dashboard, because you say we can do it from the comfort of our home, uh, where could we go to again? It's healthycommunitiesnc.org, and again, it's amazing. Like if you want to really study it, it can take hours, right? If you just want to look at a quick data point, maybe you want to see you know, what poverty looks like in certain neighborhoods in the county you live in, then that's just a few minutes, mm -hmm. right? Or if you want to look at the trend, you can do that very quickly. But it's just important to understand how all those things fit together in that model. Mm -hmm. And that population health model is, is, again, it's social and economic factors, it's physical environment, it's health behaviors, and then a small percentage, 20% of clinical care. So... You know, that's where things like the Michael Jordan Family Medical Clinics mm -hmm. change access so clinical care is better. But without impacting the other 80% in these communities, we can't expect very much in terms of health improvement. So I really encourage everybody to get out there and spend a little bit of time with it. And with a big focus in you know not-for-profit communities who are doing good work anyway, but a lot of times it's it's blind good intention, right? Mm -hmm. Because it hadn't been able to measure, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and if you can look at that dashboard and you can define the current state, describe an intervention, mm -hmm. go back and follow what's happening based on that intervention, then you can assess the impact, right? And that's what this is all about. 
And ultimately, what we're talking about is cultural transformation of a region, of a, of, a, of a city, of a county, of a region, of a state, when you're talking about destination, because now you're asking people to think differently, and then they're going to act differently. And sometimes they're going to act differently before they think differently, right? And so how do we go about initiating this whole transformational change within a culture that exists because that's the greatest obstacle that might present itself, the benefits of what this is versus whatever, um, what's already in place, right? How, how do we get the, how do we paint the picture for people to kind of see it? The dashboard paints the picture, uh, but there has to be some other ways, and and I, and I don't know. I've kind of been kind of been thinking about it because we know that this region definitely needs to go through some transformational transformational cultural change. But how how do we how do we make that happen? How do, how do we initiate that? Well, I tell you, I think it starts with conversations. Yeah, plain and simple. Conversations can't happen unless you have proximity. So how do we create some? collisions right that are intentional mm -hmm, that put mm -hmm. people who may have common sense of purpose mm -hmm. together mm -hmm. in ways that then say hey you know we can come together and work on this right mm -hmm. and that's what happened in the case of of uh the nc swim swim program those purposes were overlapping, but not completely overlapping. And so you got something really special when you brought the UNCW and mm -hmm. Community Boys and Girls Club and mm -hmm. the NC Swim Organization and DC Virgo and all these things together, you started getting different solutions. So it proves that concept of thought diversity makes a difference in performance. Mm -hmm. You know, we really need to do that. We need to have some serious conversations about what we would like to have happen in our community. Yes. For me, what we've done uh, in the in the health system is going back to early 2017, we said our primary focus is gonna be on food. Food is gonna be the window that we look at a lot of health disparities through that we really try to you know, create experiential episodes of how we work together to do things differently. Mm -hmm. And so that has really played into our food insecurity work along the whole spectrum, whether you talk about malnutrition of patients that are in the hospital or whether you talk about what's happening in the homes and communities. Mm -hmm. It starts with a true community conversation that says, are we willing to accept 20% childhood food insecurity? For me, that answer is a no. For a lot of people, that answer is a no. Mm -hmm. We got to get enough juice behind that conversation to continue to align you know because ultimately the way we would be able to tell if we had our impact right is if a lot of the food insecurity organizations had to transform their business model because that's people right. weren't hungry that's all right. the time that's right that's right that's right that's right that's right that's right it's just like as you talked about earlier transforming the mindset around uh health right and and you know it shouldn't be around me having to go see a healthcare is not me going to see a physician because I have an issue. Healthcare is really me proactively taking care of my health because I have healthy food, because I'm exercising, um, and because I'm doing everything that needs to be done to remain healthy, 
versus this whole sick care, right? And for whatever reason, they didn't call it sick care, they called it health care. But the sick care is when I'm going to get the meds and, and all those kinds of things because something has gone awry with me uh, from, a, from a, uh, a physical health perspective, right? Um, but I think this whole cultural transformation, because at the end of the day, regardless of the topics that we discuss, there has to be that transformation of how one sees the world and how they see themselves benefiting from what it is that we are discussing. Because too many people say, well, that's not for me because I, you know, I, 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 either I've done that before or we tried that before or I don't need that to understand that this is about the collective and not necessarily about the, the individual. How do we get that mindset? of collectivism versus individualism yeah and it's interesting because i think it actually starts at the individual level right? right like people have to train themselves one of the things that i've trained myself to do over the last six or seven years of doing a lot of inclusion work is to just be aware of who's in my environment mm -hmm. If I look around and it's a homogenous environment if everybody looks the same mm -hmm. now I'm actually uncomfortable mm -hmm. because I know that we're missing something, mm -hmm. right? And so I feel much more comfortable if I can look around and we've got a mosaic of people from different backgrounds, different temperaments, talents, convictions, different ages, different mm -hmm. race. You know, like we don't have to think about the genetics any. There's no genetic explanation right. for the differences in health, right? The human genome project showed it's 99.8% the same, right? That's been 20 years ago, right. right? And so there's no genetic explanation for the health disparities. There's more difference within a given ethnicity mm -hmm. genetically than there is between mm -hmm. ethnicities. Mm -hmm. And we all, well, not all of us, many of us also know that race is just a social construct. That's all. Yeah. And so when you put those things together, you really have to begin to ask, why are we continuing to tolerate disadvantage of certain people when we know at the end of the day, if you leave people behind, you can only go so far. That's right. That's really as, as simple as it is, right? We cannot continue to leave people behind collectively. That's right. Or we're, we're not we're just not going to get much better in terms of health you know <clears throat> when we think about health and I, i'm thinking about it from a different perspective now right i'm thinking about what would the health of wilmington be if 1898 had not occurred given how prosperous it was if if no one felt left out and if everyone kind of came together what would the health of wilmington be in 2022 if 1898 had not occurred? It's something to think about, right? That's an amazing question. What you would almost certainly see is there would have been massive sprawl to the south, west, and north, right? Like you think about what it would be in, in a three-sided Atlanta, mm -hmm. maybe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, three-sided Charlotte, that level of, mm -hmm. of economic uplift. And you look at what's there now could certainly use some of that uplift. And I am compelled to believe that we can make those things happen now. 
just have to do it differently, right? Like, you know, we can't go back, but we can sure as, as the devil fix some things and do things differently in a way that allows prosperity to exist across all the populations that are here. Uh, and I'm inspired by the opportunity to participate in that, actually. I mean, I think yes. that's a big opportunity for us to, to do right. Because it, it can happen, as you said, um, if we just put our collective minds to it. And we could reach out, again, I think this, this region encompasses about seven or eight counties, and every county can prosper if the leaders get together. And so I keep going back to leadership, right, and people needing to minimize ego and minimize personality and understand what the true mission is, right? And that the mission is really about what's best for human beings and not necessarily what's best for myself or my family. Uh, and I know oftentimes that's difficult to um, practice uh, given how we've been raised in society, right? Uh, but when we begin to look from a more human perspective, we can have greater impact, right? And everybody participates. It's like the presentation I gave the other week around ants, right? Look, in how ant, look at the difference between ants and human beings and how much more productive they are and how they prefer to work together versus alone. It's very, 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 very interesting. And, uh, yeah. Very, very interesting. Well, we certainly have a lot of work to do. we got a bunch of more topics coming up in future episodes. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to be here with you again, and I'd like to invite our audience to go to unlikelyintersections.com if you want to learn more, or check me out on LinkedIn, Doc Philip Brown. Or and you can go to LinkedIn at Dr. Excuse me, Terry Jackson, Ph.D., Find me on LinkedIn, and we will be more than happy to address any questions you have. Or um, if you'd like to have a conversation with us, we'd be more than happy to, to make that happen as well. See you at Destination Health. Destination Health.